and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I am your host, Jenny Sisler, and I'm coming to you at 8.11 p.m. on Monday, November 7th, 2022, from a beautiful, if not a bit excessively warm, Sunderland, Massachusetts. But fortunately, the weather is going to take a turn toward the more seasonable tomorrow. Um, so everything is well here uh, for me and Bill both, and I hope everything is well for you in your corner of the world. I want to give a shout out to a new listener, uh, Stephanie. She is a cross-stitch designer who, uh, who creates patterns under the name Lindy Stitches, and she has done a fabulous Bird of the Month Club uh, pattern series this year, um, and to... In the year, she created some uh, bird patterns for her stitchers in Australia and New Zealand. And as fate would have it, one of her new releases is the subject of tonight's podcast. And this, the subject is the kakapo, which is a bird that is native only to New Zealand it is a type of parrot that is flightless. It's the only flightless parrot in the world. Um, and it's the world's heaviest parrot. It can weigh up to eight pounds. They are nocturnal. And in fact, the term, the name Kekapo means night parrot in the Maori tribal language. They are known as owl parrots because their faces and heads look like owls. Uh, because of the way the feathers ruffle around their head. Um, they have a sweet smell that is similar to honey, and I could not find any definitive answers as to why that is. I would assume it might have something to do with mating, but I couldn't find a definitive answer on that. And they are one of the longest living birds in the wild. They can live up to 90 years which I suppose it's a good thing no one ever domesticated the uh, Kekapo for us to have as pets because parrots, pet parrots, live long enough. In fact, um, <clears throat> you've heard me speak of the actress Stephanie Powers, and uh, she gave an interview about a month ago, and it was a Zoom-type interview on YouTube, and she had her pet parrot with her, Miss Papuga, uh, and papuga just means parrot in Polish. Um, but she told the interviewer that papuga was over 50 years old, but she had been in Stephanie's life for 50 years. And I cannot imagine having, I mean, that must be so cool to have a, to have a pet that you know you probably will never have to deal with losing because the, your pet will probably outlive you. But still, I can't imagine so as long as a parrot in captivity or as a pet can live, uh, these parrots live far longer than that. And they are herbivores. And their favorite food is from a tree called a rimu tree, which is a fruit tree. And the way they eat, they pull foliage through their bills with their feet. So as they do that, they suck off the berries and all the good bits of the fruit and leave the dried outer husks behind. 
Um, they will also eat supply jack vines and orchard tubers, but they prefer removed fruit when they can find it. And in fact, when there is a bumper crop of removed fruit, that is usually when they have the most prolific breeding seasons. And it's very interesting to, to know that the Kekapo is the only so-called lek breeding parrot in the world. And that's just a fancy term for love them and leave them. The males basically go through all this elaborate courtship, finally attract the female, inseminate the females, and then that's it. They do not have anything to do with raising the chicks. They're definitely the love them and leave them type. Um, and no other bird in New Zealand and no other parrot species breeds that way. Uh, most parrots and most, you know, birds in general will share the nest building and chick raising experience. But with Kekapo, they're just strictly wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And they go on about their, they go on about their lives. Um, and they leave the females to raise the chicks. Um, so I found this very interesting description of how the males actually court the females and it seems like an awful lot of work for a little reward but that's just me uh, basically what happens is they'll find a prominent ridge or a hilltop up in the mountains and they create kind of a shallow like depression almost like they're building a um, nest in the earth and then they settle in and they start the courtship ritual and much like frogs they have a thoracic air sac in their throat that they rapidly inflate. And they can inflate it between, um, it with 20 to 30 booming noises every one to two seconds. And these booming noises are very loud. And in the mountains, the sound can carry for up to three miles. And every time they finish that sequence of 20 to 30 booms, they make a kind of a pinging noise, which I think of like almost like a submarine sonar they give off this metallic ping and that actually helps the female locate his precise uh, location but the crazy thing is and the reason why I say this is like all work for very little reward is he can sit there and do these 20 to 30 booms interrupted by the metallic ping for eight hours straight without a break every single night for three months at a time. So he's got to work his little tail feathers off and then he don't get to have much more than a few seconds worth of fun. So it doesn't seem exactly fair, but that's how it works when you're a Kekapo. So the females, you know, they're inseminated and they lay up to, up to four eggs at a time. And the eggs are a scotch smaller than chicken eggs, but not much and they hatch after 30 days. So what caused these beautiful and insanely unique birds to be on the verge of extinction? Well, sadly, it's the same story that it is for a lot of animals, uh, it, invasive species. I think that invasive species have been the culprit in near extinctions in quite a few of these podcast episodes I've recorded. 
Um, it definitely was the case with the Oahu tree snails. It was definitely the case in uh, regards to, um, oh, what am I trying to think of? <laughs> okay, this is bad. I don't know my own podcast episodes. And now my brain has gone blank, but it was definitely invasive species when it comes to the um, Oahu tree snails because the African giant snail was the culprit there. And with the Kekapo, uh, they numbered in the millions. Please excuse that. I have to have a landline to have my internet connection. And of course, with it being the night before the election, of course, people are calling out the wazoo trying to tell me how to vote. I don't even answer my landline anymore, but I have to have it for the internet. Okay, that's, that's good enough now. So anyway, where was I? So uh, basically the uh, Kekapo numbered in the millions in New Zealand, on the main island of New Zealand, um, until the Maori tribes arrived. And they brought with them stoats and certain species of rats and certain species of cats that the Kekapo was not prepared to defend itself from. Because the basic defense mechanism a Kekapo has, I mean, they can't fly away. So what they do is they freeze. They freeze in place when they feel threatened. Which, if you think about it, before the arrival of these terrestrial predators, what was the worst predator that a Kekapo had to deal with? A bigger bird that was trying to attack it from the sky. So if it froze in place, it might not be seen by the predator and it could survive but freezing in place didn't hide them from terrestrial predators so they basically were just very vulnerable to these invasive species and sadly the numbers dwindled by the time they started doing research on the Kekapo in 1995 the numbers basically dwindled to uh, 51 in the wild, down from the millions that there had one time been. And the Kekapo recovery plan was initiated, and fortunately there was a 68% increase in the population in eight, within eight years. And by 2019... There, there was the most successful breeding season that scientists had ever observed. There were 76 chicks hatched. But the sad part of the story is that one died of aspergillosis, which is a type of fungal infection. So they had to send 51 chicks to um, veterinary hospitals in Auckland where they were diagnosed with aspergillosis. And they were treated with antifungals. And out of the 21 cases that they sent to the veterinary hospitals, 12 recovered and 9 died. So while that is, it seems like somewhat of a setback in conservation efforts, actually scientists were relieved that only 9 of them died because aspergillosis is very, very, um, oh, what's the word, contagious. And it spreads very rapidly. So the fact that they were able to prevent the outbreak from being worse than it was was actually considered a triumph for the scientist that year. And by 2021, there were 204 counted in the wild. And part of the ongoing conservation 
Uh, protection includes creating more predator-free islands. Um, at present, there isn't one that could hold over m more than 100 uh, Kekapo, simply because the islands are small. And there's also been a predator-free 2050 initiative, which has begun using a vertebrate pesticide called 1080, which is somewhat controversial, but they have to rid these islands of the pests if they want the populations to increase. And in fact, that was something that in the 80s and 90s, when they first started translocating the Kekapo to these uh, predator-free islands, they noticed that the transference of them to the other islands halted the decline in numbers, but they didn't realize that there was a predator called the Kiori, which is a which is a Pacific rat, on these islands they transferred them to. So while the numbers were not declining as rapidly as they had been on the main island of New Zealand, the number the populations weren't increasing. So once they realized that the Kiori was uh, preying upon the Kekapo, they got rid of the Kiori, and the numbers actually started increasing. Um, and part of the Kekapo recovery program, besides translocating the birds to safer places to live, part of it is also the breeding program. And I found this absolutely fascinating, but they use transmitters, drones to artificially inseminate the females, and 3D printed eggs to protect future populations of the Kekapo. So how does all this fit together? Well, what they do is they have, they have outfitted transmitters with every bird uh, that the scientists have in their study. And they report back which Kekapo have mated, which ones have mated with which other birds, and how vigorous the mating session was, because that will ultimately tell scientists the more or less the probability of success of having a viable clutch of eggs. So then after that, scientists monitor sensors that are outside the nests. And these sensors tell the scientists when the mothers come and go from the nest. So what happens is when they have a period of time where the females are away from the nest, they go and they gather the eggs to take them to uh, raise them in incubators. And this is where the 3D printed eggs come in. They basically uh, replace the actual eggs with a 3D printed egg that makes the same kind of noises that the real eggs would make. So the females are none the wiser. They come back, you know, they've gone off to eat. They come back to the nest in the middle of the night, settle in on the egg, and they're just peachy keen thinking they're raising their chicks. And then what happens is when the chicks are hatched in the lab, they're monitored to make sure they're healthy and uh, they are returned to the nest and the females are none the wiser and they go get the Rimu fruit, bring it back to the nest to feed the babies and that is one key component in helping repopulate the species of the Kekapo. So it's very interesting to me that modern technology is starting to be used as conservation tools. Um, it wasn't always part of the program, so to speak, 
but as technology evolves and changes, I believe that we will start to see more conservation efforts uh, along the lines of the Kekapo Recovery Program that will help use technology to ensure that the fittest of the species is able to survive and repopulate a nearly extinct species. So I'm going to leave that here for tonight. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Kekapo and why they're on the verge of extinction and why we need to protect them. They are just as important a part of the ecosystem as any other animal and any other bird, even though they can't fly and they're a little weird. That definitely makes them, I think their unique and weird uh, qualities make them definitely a bird that we should be concerned about saving. Um, I hope that uh, you have a great week, and I'll be back next week with another Kekapo Kekapo. In the meantime, please remember, thank you and good day.